0: 16. Luke chapter 16, verse 1, is where we're going to start out this morning. Now, we're talking today about a problem that is a big problem, a big problem. The title of our message is Mastering Money, and that reflects something that is very obvious, very straightforward. Money is always either a master or a slave. You are always either the master or the slave to your money. Your money is never your friend. Either you are the boss of your money or your money is the boss of you. To give you a little bit of context here, I've been teasing this information out uh, throughout the week on our social media stuff and our text message alerts and things like that. But here are some statistics that if you haven't heard them, I think will, I hope they will surprise you. Um... The average American who has credit card debt has $15,000 in credit card debt. Now, I don't know what kind of interest rate uh, they're getting on a $15,000 loan on a credit card, but I bet that it's not good. The average American who has student loans has $50,000 in student loan debt. The average American... If their income stopped today, and they spent all of their retirement savings, and they spent all of their money, uh, liquidated everything except their home, could continue the way they are currently living for six days. Now, so you talk about living paycheck to paycheck. (laughs) There's six days to try to hold your breath until the next paycheck comes in. The average American has enough cash on hand and in their retirement savings to make it for just six days. Moreover, 47% of Americans would have to sell something or borrow money to cover a $400 emergency. There are a lot of emergencies that could come up that are $400. 47% of Americans could not cover it with money they had saved to give you uh, 60% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, including 30% of Americans who make $100,000 a year or more. Everybody thinks, well, if I had a little bit more, then I would not be paycheck to paycheck, right? And my problem is this, that I don't have enough money. Well, the problem is not how much money you have. You know, if you've got more money, think of that as just having a bigger shovel. You can dig yourself a deeper hole. (laughs) If you continue to treat money the same way you did before, you'll be in the same kind of situation. To give you, I'm, I'm sure everybody's seen the statistics about lottery winners. Lottery winners do not stay rich, right? Because after you win the lottery, you are still the kind of person who plays the lottery, which does not make you responsible with money. <laughs> A lot of people are in financial bondage. A lot of people can't do the things they want to do, can't do the things God wants them to do because they are enslaved to Lady Visa and MasterCard. And there's no hope. To give you one more flip side of money. If all American Christians gave 10% of their income to charity, right now 20% of American Christians give nothing at all, but if, 20, if all American Christians gave 10% of their income We could continue everything going on now, according to U.N. estimates of how much it would take to solve world hunger. We could feed every person in the world who currently does not have food and have $100 billion left over to play with. I'm sure all of you have heard the story about the preacher who uh, was working on a building program and stood before the church and said, I've got good news and I've got bad news. He said, The good news is that we've got all the money that we need for our renovations. The bad news is that it's still in your pocket. <laughs> you know, all the things you think that ought to be done, do you know that it's right there? But instead of giving and helping and serving, we live in a constant cycle of consume, 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 consume. We live in slavery to our appetites. The Bible says their God is their belly and their glory is their shame. Do we live like that? Whatever I want, I take. Our society is so different than previous generations. You know, can you imagine the th- telling somebody in the 1920s that you could rack up $15,000 in debt? And I know the value of a dollar is not the same, but $15,000 in easy credit debt. I don't mean in a house note. It's incredible so your grandparents when they what did they do they saved money but we don't save money because we know we can always get a little more credit is funny isn't it credit is a multiplier when the times are good credit lets you have things even better when things get bad now you've got that debt payment on top of all the things that you currently need and on and on and on it goes and it puts people in a cycle of helplessness. There are some of you here today just going based on these statistics that are financially in dire straits because of bad decisions you made in the past that you're paying the bill on now. (laughs) When God called the Israelites out of Egypt, he gave them a couple rules. Maybe you've read some of them. One of them, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I want you to imagine Telling somebody who had been a slave, just barely getting by, working all day, every day. Now you have to take one day a week off. They said, well, we can't afford to take one day a week off. We've got to work every day. We're just barely getting by right now. And God says, if you put me first and you realize that not everything is about what you can do, then I will change it. They took a 13% pay cut to take a day off every week. In the same sense, God told them to give 10% of their income to the poor through the tithe. He said, every day. And what they did, uh, based on the historical reconstruction stuff we have, is that they had a container by the front door of their house. And when they came in, when they had gotten something new, they put one-tenth of what they got new in that container to store it up. So every time they walked past that door, they were reminded, not everything I have is for my consumption. But we don't think that way at all, do we? You get a $2,000 raise, what do you do? You spend $2,500 more. (laughs) The American dream is to spend money you you don't have on things you don't want to impress people you don't like. Most people, of course, it depends on your age and things, but many people don't want to keep up with the Joneses, but they want to make sure their children keep up with the Joneses' children. (laughs) And it becomes a contest and a cycle of debt that enslaves and captures. How does this happen? How do we get to the point where, again, 47% of Americans, half, could not cover a $400 emergency? Without taking out a loan, you say, well, people just don't make enough. The average American makes about $35,000 a year, is the median income. That's pretty low. But to not have $400 on hand, $400 is less than the cost of the smartphone that the person has who could not cover a $400 emergency. So now you're meddling, Justin. You better stop that. But what do we think? We think, I just need it right now. I just need it right now. I just need what I want right now. The way that we think about money as a society is broken. (laughs) And because the way that we think about money as a society is broken... We enter into an abusive relationship with money. (laughs) I I thought of this, and I, I, I think it's pretty clear. An abusive relationship with money. Money hurts you, then it lies to you, says I'll never do it again if you just come back to me, and then money hurts you again. Repeat. And so we've got people in a cycle of debt, a cycle of slavery. What's the problem? In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story in the first eight verses. And maybe you've never heard this story before. And if you haven't heard it before, I bet it's going to really, it's got a plot twist in it. So let me read it to you. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. And he, Jesus, said unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. To give you a little bit of context here, uh, what happened back then is that oftentimes wealthy people would not manage their own affairs. They would hire a manager, and the manager was in charge. So I would go off, and I would live in my mansion, and the, my manager, my steward, would be responsible for taking care of everything that I had. So there's this rich man who's got a manager that runs all of his affairs, and he hears that his manager, his steward, has been wasteful. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest no longer be steward. He says, you know, I hear that you've been wasting my money. I hear that you've been wasting what I've entrusted to you. So I want you to go and do a full audit because you have just lost your job. I need you to line everything out for the next guy. And the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me my stewardship. I cannot dig to beg. I am ashamed. He says, what am I going to do? I can't do this. If I don't have this job, I mean, I'm not strong enough to dig or I'm not willing to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. So I've got to figure something out. He says in the next verse, I am resolved what to do that when I'm put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. He says, I've got a plan, so when I lose my job, I'm going to have some friends to pick me up. So he called every one of his lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. Now, a hundred measures of oil um, is the uh, the total production from a large olive grove. This is a massive debt. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of money today. And he said, take thy bill and sit thou down quickly and write 50. The steward says here, take your IOU, and I want you to change your IOU to, instead of saying 100 measures of oil, say 50. You sign it, I'll sign it, I'll put it back. Probably seventy or $80,000 in debt. And he said to another, and how much owest thou? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. A hundred measures of wheat would literally take years for a large farm to produce. And he said unto him, take thy bill and write four score. He says, write 80 down. Again, this is probably debt forgiveness of about $80,000. says in the next verse. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. There's Jesus' story. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, that's a plot twist at the end. The The owner finds out that the steward has been forgiving debts to make friends. And when the owner finds out, he says, that was pretty smart. If you'd had that kind of ingenuity when you were still my, when you were still working for me, I never would have fired you. He commends him. He says, "At a boy for stealing from me." For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Why on earth would Jesus tell a story to tell us to be like the thieving manager? The unjust steward. Why in the world would Jesus tell this story? What does he want us to learn from this? Let's step back. Let's look at the first verse again. And I want to try to make a point to you. He said unto his disciples... So Jesus' story here, the Pharisees are there, the Pharisees are listening, but the story is not for the Pharisees. In chapter 15, he was telling the Pharisees' stories. He was telling them parables. But then he turns to his disciples, and he says, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. Now, what do you know about you? Your money, your possessions, your life are not yours. You do not have anything that rightfully belongs to you. You say, well, wait a minute, Justin. I worked hard, and I did this, and I did that, and I went to school, and I... There is nothing that you have that you have apart from God. Now, that means that you are not the owner of your little slice of earth. Somebody else is going to be the manager after you. You are a steward. You're a manager. God says, I give you these things. Take care of it. Occupy till I come. He said, I give you some money. I give you a place to live. I give you a job. I give you a family. I give you these different things. I want you to take care of these things the way that I would if I were here. That's what an owner wants when they hire a manager. Say, I want you to do what I would do if I were here. But there comes a time... Here, it happened that he wasted his goods. But whether or not you waste it, there comes a time where he says, he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. There comes a time where God says, you cannot be the steward over these resources anymore. Your time managing this stuff is up. Tell me what you did with it that time for most of us is probably when we die. See, the things that you're in charge of now, the slice of the world that God has put you in charge of, there comes a time when you die and you don't get to take that stuff with you. I think I've told the story before. I know I've told the story before. It's too good for me to have sat on. um, About the wealthy man who made his wife promise that when he died, she would bury all of his money with him. And... She agrees to it. They have the funeral, and people come from miles to see this funeral because they want to see if she did it. So people come up, they walk past the casket, they lean in, they take a look, they look confused, and they keep walking. Finally, somebody has the guts to come up to her and says, I thought you were going to bury all of his money with him. And she said, I did. He said, well, there should be millions of dollars. I don't see anything. She says, well, I wrote him a check. (laughs) The, um, similarly, there's the story of the uh, old man who, uh, the mean old man that said he wanted his wife to put all of his money, convert it to gold bars, and put it in a suitcase and put it in the attic for him to grab on his way out of the world. He died one night. She went up there the next morning, grabbed the suitcase, took the gold bars down and said, I told him I should have put it in a (laughs) You don't get with you. You don't own it. You're managing it for God until you don't. And when you don't, you've got to give an account. Can you imagine if your boss came and said, okay, you've been the manager here for all this time. You're fired. But I want you to make a record of everything that you did, of how you used the money that I to you with. And I want you to imagine, you know, I don't think this is what it'll actually be like, but I want you to imagine if you died... And God stopped you and set the great white throne or the judgment seat of Christ and said, okay, I've got your tax returns for the 35 years that you were a Christian. I've got some concerns about some of these numbers. (laughs) How many of you would want to give a dollar-by-dollar accounting of the money that God trusted you with? Say, Well, I really needed a truck. Really bad. My old one, (coughs) the, the Bluetooth barely worked in it. Or you know, what are some of the things we waste money on? God says, "Huh, I noticed that uh, you enjoyed T-bone steaks. For you had uh, the uh, I, how did the how did the two people in your enjoy your four thousand square foot house or whatever? I'm trying to to exaggerate some so I don't so I can make it out of here today." We live so wastefully, don't we? You want to give an account to God of the way that you live, and you say, well, I've just got the essentials. You know, it's funny what we think is essential, isn't it? There are things that we think are essential that if you could go back in time 50 years and say, you know, well, we have to have three TVs. Without three TVs. (laughs) We can't just watch broadcast TV. We need our cable, And... uh, you can't expect me to drive a car without seat warmer. Or such. Whatever. Our standard of what is the minimum we can get by with goes <laughs> up and up and up and up and up. Here's a funny statistic. Although wages have been stagnant, uh, if you account for inflation, the amount of money the average person makes has been the same since about 1990. But the average net worth has decreased about 25%. You are making the same amount of money as a generation ago, but you have less. Evening for inflation. You know why that is? Because we waste so much more. We treat ourselves like owners instead of stewards. That's a problem. So Jesus says, look, this man, there comes a time where every steward has to give an accounting. Of the work that he's done. Verse 3 then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me my stewardship. I cannot dig to big. I am ashamed. I know somebody, a friend, who um, lost his good job and was unemployed for over a year. Not because he couldn't find a job to support his family, but because he found a job that he thought was worthy of him. He said, you know what, well, I'm worth a lot more than this. You know, well, right now you're worth about zero, <laughs> when you're not at all there's an attitude there isn't there i'm too good for that i can't i can't dig you can't expect me to dig i'm a steward i'm too ashamed to beg says what am i going to do i've got a plan i want to be received i want someone to take me in when i lose these things i can't hold on to now christian if we could get this in our mind If you can't keep your money, if you can't keep your stuff, what can you spend it on that you will be able to This steward traded money that wasn't his to make friends that he could have. If the money you have is not your money, then you need to be using it. If it's God's money and he's just letting you hold on to it, you need to be using it. For something that God would have to use it for. We'll get to this. He says, I've got a plan. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him. And of course, there were more than just the two. The two are just given as an example. He calls all these debtors, this massive wealthy man. And he reduces their debts. And he commends them for doing wisely. Now, this wicked steward had enough sense to use what he couldn't keep. To gain that which he couldn't lose. As Christians, oh that we could be as wise, not to cheat our bosses, personal gain, but to take the money we cannot keep, to take the things that we cannot keep, to realize they are not ours, and to use them for things that matter. What if we had that kind of sense? If we had that kind of sense, we wouldn't have people with tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt. Of course, we need to qualify that. I understand sometimes there are genuine emergencies that happen that put people into debt, medical emergencies and things like that. That's one thing. However, we put ourselves in a position to always be vulnerable to emergency. If I drive my car around with an eighth of a tank of gas all the time, and then an emergency comes up, and I run out of gas without having time to flop. that wasn't a real emergency. That was me not planning. That was me always living on the very brink. If you spent every dollar that comes in, and then an emergency comes up, and now you have to go into debt, it was an emergency. It was a you not planning enough to have a cushion, oftentimes. In our society, everyone wants to live just a little above their means. And that means we've got a new master. Verse 9, let's go past the parable to a little bit of Jesus' explanation of it. He says, And I say unto you, Jesus says to them, Make yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. God says, Jesus says, Use the unrighteous wealth to make yourselves friends. So that when you fail, when you die, they can receive you into everlasting habitations. He says, take your money, use your money to reach people for the kingdom of God. You know the only thing you can take with you to heaven? It's your friends and family. You can't pay for them. (laughs) But if you use what you have to reach people for the kingdom of God first then you can take people with you. You can make yourself friends who will receive you into everlasting habitations. And you say, well, you know, Justin, you're not going to pretend that if I give money to church or whatever that suddenly all my finances are going to work out. And that's what I'm saying. Everybody knows that I am not in the uh, prosperity gospel crowd. You will not be rich by following God. That's not the point. The point is that giving changes the way you think about money. When I give to God first, what I have done is I have said, this money is not really mine. When I give to God last, I'm saying, it's my money, God, here you can have some of my extra. So I give first to make friends, to receive everlasting habitations. I give to God what I can't keep. He says in verse 10, he that is faithful in least... is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in the much. This is simple. If I can't trust you on something small, why would I trust you on something big? If you lie at your golf score, I'm not going to let you handle my taxes, right? If you're dishonest in a small thing, that tells me who you are you say, you know what, I don't know why God hasn't given me more money. If you are not responsible with what God has given you already, why would God give you more? That would be stupid. If you had an employee and you said, okay, you are in charge of this broom closet, and that employee made a wreck of the broom closet, you are not going to put them in charge of the store, right? If God says, I've given this to you, I've given you something to test you with, and you've blown it. You've been an irresponsible steward. You've spent everything on yourself. You've blown it all on your own consumption. The United States, in the United States today, more money by a lot is spent on alcohol every year than is donated to charity. God says, I gave you something and you blew it. Why would I trust you with more? And in fact, his main point is not, why would I trust you with more money? We'll see that in a second. But he says, why would I trust you if you've shown me your character? Why would I trust you with more? If you can't handle the small stuff, why would I give you the big stuff? The one who's faithful in little is faithful in much. And the one who is unjust in little is also unjust in much. You know, so when you uh, are dealing with somebody who you want to hire and you find out that they are not faithful at home, you know, not reliable at home, don't hire them. Somebody's running for office. You've got a congressman, and you find out that uh, your congressman doesn't pay his personal bills, your congressman cheats on his wife, your congressman whatever, do not elect that congressman. Because if they can't be trusted with their home, they can't be trusted with anything else. Your character is what matters. Now, the one who's faithful in little is also faithful in much. So Jesus, though, goes even further. He says, if therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? God says, if I can't trust you with money, why would I ever trust you with the things that really matter? As a pastor, one of the most (laughs) terrible things that I have seen is the way that people have their priorities so out of whack. You'll have somebody come to the church and say, I don't have money for food. And you take them something, and you find out that they've got six dogs that they feed. You say, well, they're part of the family. If your kids are hungry... Because you're feeding your dog, there's a problem there. And I, I, I say this as nicely as possible. What happens, of course, is people know that somebody else will pay to feed your kids and nobody else will pay for your cigarettes or your beer or your dog food. So you buy those things that you want and then you use charity of other people to feed your kids. And that's exactly what happens, over and over and over again. So if I can't trust somebody with money... Why would you trust them with something bigger? If God says, look, I've entrusted you with possessions. That's what mammon is. Mammon is the God of wealth, possessions. If I can't trust you with possessions, why would I trust you with the true heavenly riches? He makes that even clearer in verse 12. If you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? So if you haven't been responsible with money that doesn't belong to you, you can't keep it. Why would God give you the heavenly rewards, the spiritual rewards that really belong to you? I read this uh, story, and I believe it was a true story. There was a man who had been a contractor for a long time for a company. And finally, he is on his last house. He's ready to retire. He He wants to retire already, but his boss says, won't you please do one more house for me? And the, con- the contractor phones the whole thing in, Does, uh, cuts corners all over the place. At the end of the job, the boss says, you know, you've been a good worker for me for so long. I didn't want to tell you this before, but surprise, this house is my gift to you. God says, I've given you all this stuff, (laughs) and you phone it in, and you make a mess. So here's what I'm really getting at, is not, this is not a, the church is out of money and I need your money speech. I always am really nervous about preaching on money, because I know there's people who say, oh, all the church cares about is getting your money, right? Um, And I hope that since I talk about money about once every 18 months, uh, that everybody understands that's not what's going on here. We've got plenty of money. The lights are on. Life is wonderful. What I'm concerned about is your heart. Your pocketbook is attached to your heart, tight. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So my question is, who is the master, you or your money? Who's in charge? Do you live on a reckless, I want what I want, and I want what I want, and I want what I want? Or... Do you say, okay, God, let me follow your lead? This stuff does not belong to me. I'm not entitled to this or that or the other. It's all yours. He says in verse uh, 13, final verse of our text No servant, see if I can get it up on there. Yeah. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. You can't have two different masters if you're a slave. You can't follow two different conflicting sets of orders. If, you want to, uh, if you're a citizen of two countries and you want to join the United States military, you have to renounce your citizenship. Poor Courtney had to renounce her Canadian citizenship join the Air Force. Because you can't serve two masters. Isn't that right? You can't, you know, in a time of war, if the United States went to war with Canada... For that whole two weeks of our war with Canada, Courtney would just be torn to pieces if she was in the U.S. Air Force and she had divided loyalty. You can't have divided loyalty. You can't serve God and stuff. You've got to choose. And how many of us have this petty idolatry where we do what we want all the time, we serve stuff all the time, and then try to give God the gap? Can you imagine if Courtney was able to keep her Canadian citizenship, she joins the U.S. Air Force, and the Canadian government starts sending her orders. And she follows the orders of the Canadian government and then gives the U.S. government whatever time she's got left over. That'd be a problem, wouldn't it? Stuff sends you orders and says, you know, you really want this. You know, you really need this. You know, you really need to borrow to get into this and enslave yourself to debt. The Bible says the borrower is slave to the lender and the rich is slave to the poor. You even need to borrow your way in (laughs) and enslave yourself more and more and more and then I'll give God what's left over. That's a problem. So what I want today to really get across to you, as we wrap up, is that if you will change the way you think about money, if you will change the way you think about stuff, to realizing that you are a steward and not an owner, it will transform all of your other decision you know, I've got this, the biblical order of principles here. It's almost... Uh, too, too obvious to mention, right? Bible says give as you've been, as God's blessed you, proportionally as God's blessed you, right? First off, you give 10%. Then you cover food, clothing, and shelter. First Timothy 6, 8 says, if we have food and raiment, let us be content, right? You cover your true essentials. Now here we've got to qualify. Not all of the clothes that you want are essential clothes. <laughs> you've got to be clothed, and you've got to eat, and you've got to have a place to live that you don't have to have everything that we think that we're entitled to. You cover that. Then you repay your debt. Romans thirteen eight says, oh, no man, anything except the debt of love. Do you know why? Because your debt is your word. I know that there are companies that will go around and will lie and say that debt that you, have, that you know is yours is not yours to try to raise your credit score and try to get them to give up on pursuing debts. But do you know what that is? that's stealing. If I hire a credit recovery agency to try to pretend that my debts are not my debts, I am stealing that money from those people. I have no integrity. I have no character. It's wrong. So once you've covered the basic necessities of your family, then you repay your debt. Then you save. Proverbs uh, 21.20 is probably worth me reading. if I can find it. Proverbs 21.20, still in the same place as it was last time. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. And the, the, the wise man keeps for a rainy day. The foolish man spends everything as quick as it comes in. Do you know why? Because of presumption. Because the foolish man assumes that things are good, they're going to keep getting better. Do you know why everybody... Lost their shirt in the housing crash? Because everybody assumed things were good and they were going to keep getting better. In James, it says, woe unto you who say tomorrow we'll do this or that or next year we'll do this or that. Those who say tomorrow we're going to do this or that or next year we're going to do this or that, you should say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. When somebody buys a house they can't afford because they assume the value on it's going to go up and it's all going to be a wash, you set yourself up for failure. So you need to save and have a plan. And then everything else. Everything else is extra. You spend everything else out of the rest. You give first because you trust God with it. Then you cover your family's basic needs. You repay your debts because you are a person of your word. You save and then... You splurge, you know, you buy the things that you want after that. But how many people, and you know, I almost felt dumb putting this up here because I think it's so obvious that this is the order that God would have you to take care of things financially. But how often do we get this all out of whack? How often do we forget the difference in needs and wants? How often do we put things that are important to the last? I have another friend who... Uh, came into some money, or his family came into some money, and they were living in a pump house, a well, a well pump house. They came into some money, and instead of getting a better place to live, his mom and his older sisters all got LASIK surgery. Now, it would be funny if you didn't know people like that, too. who have no sense of what matters. So, again, verse 11. If you therefore have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus gave up everything come be born in a manger to die in your place he did not value stuff he valued you so in your heart the question is very simple who's the boss you master money or does money master you do you follow God and recognize that you are just a steward holding on to God's for him or not Thank you.